He is risen. Amen. So good to be here together, uh, not in the way we hope on an Easter Sunday morning, but uh, nothing that's going on in our world changes what is going on in the real world, and that is that Christ is risen. Paul said that if Christ is not risen, then we of all people are most to be pitied. And of course, his conclusion was that Christ is risen indeed. So we celebrate that this morning. I want to thank our music team, and they're going to be coming back to help us celebrate on this Easter Sunday. And also thank you to the guys ensemble. That was amazing. I really want to know which of you big, burly Wallenstein boys was doing that high part. Uh, I'm going to find that out at some point. But thank you. Thank you for the work that's gone into that. We're going to read this morning in John chapter 20. Uh, Before we read, I just uh, would like to pray. But uh, John chapter 20, just so you have your Bibles or your device ready, and we're going to be reading from verse 19. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would. And we're going to stand to pray. Praise God for all that this day means to us. Pray for some folks in our church family, and then we're going to stay standing as we read these verses together. So let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day, uh, this day above all days for us who follow and believe in Jesus Christ, a day of great victory. Lord, we live in a world where we see so much um, sadness, brokenness around us uh, in light of the pandemic and all of, all of the fallout from that. Uh, But Lord, we know that you are very much still on your throne as we've just been singing. There's no power on earth or on hell that can stop you. And we thank you for Easter Sunday when the resurrection of Christ reminds us of all that we have in him and all that you've accomplished for us. Lord, we just want to remember some in our church family who uh, are going through hard times and ask that you'd be with them, Lord. We pray for Sharon Laguerre and ask for healing for her body, for good results uh, from the surgery that she's had. Pray for Ken McDonald, who has a surgery coming up, uh, significant surgery, Lord. We want to be thinking of him and asking that you would uh, give the doctors wisdom and skill uh, and cause that surgery to be a success. I want to pray for uh, Eric Bauman and uh, the health struggles that he's dealing with. And, and again, pray for doctors to have wisdom. Pray for Heath Martin. Thank you for the Martin family that we saw on our screen this morning. And we just ask, Lord, for him, uh, for uh, the healing that he needs in his body. And I pray too, Lord, for for Joe Houston, for the things that she is dealing with in her body, and ask again for healing for her. Lord, above all these things, we know that the resurrection of Christ and the good news of Jesus uh, provides a supernatural spiritual healing that our world so desperately needs. And many of us here gathered today have experienced that, and we just give you thanks and praise for all that you have accomplished for us. But Lord, help us to raise our gaze and to see in this world around us so many who need this same rescue that's been provided through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Help us to be those who will boldly proclaim this good news so that many others can hear and believe and receive as well. So Lord, would you be with us today now as we open your word, we're asking you to open our eyes to it and to change our lives through it. 
And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you just stay standing with me now as uh, we honor uh, the reading of God's Word, I'm going to be reading John chapter 20, verses 19 down to verse 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Amen. Please be seated. I want to begin with three questions as we look at these few verses. Uh, First one is this. Why did Jesus breathe on his disciples? Second one is this. Why did Jesus twice say, peace be with you? Why wasn't once enough? And then finally, from that final verse, 23, can disciples of Jesus forgive sins? I'm going to leave those questions on the screen, and I'm going to read these four verses one more time and ask that you would consider those questions as I read this brief passage again. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So we're going to start with this question. Why did Jesus breathe on the disciples? Now, I can only say one good thing about this pandemic and all that it's meant for church life, and that is that for a year now, I have not had a brother or sister in Christ who came and stood in my face with coffee breath and did not clue in when I was backing away, right? That hasn't happened for a year, praise God. And actually, the mask helps me know when I have bad breath, and so I all the more reason for social distancing. This is kind of strange. Why did Jesus breathe on his disciples? Now, we might say, well, it, it kind of tells us there, doesn't it? In verse 20, 22, it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We, we know, though, that from Scripture that the Holy Spirit didn't actually come upon the disciples until the day of Pentecost, 50 days or so later. So why did he breathe here? When we find questions like this in the Scripture, it's really important for us to ask these kinds of questions and to realize that often Scripture provides an answer for us if we would think about this question. Is there anywhere else in the Bible where someone breathes on another? And the answer is, of course there is. And of course, creation order, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is meant to be foundational to our faith, to our understanding of God, to understanding of the Bible, to our understanding of the Christian faith. So when we see Jesus breathing on his disciples, we should think about this 
story from Genesis 2, where it says that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I think that there's a, a, a real connection here between Genesis 2-7 and John 20. The breathing of God brought life to humanity. The breathing of Jesus on his disciples was very much about life. Think about this. Same chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. God had explained to Adam that he must not, Eve must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But we read on and we read chapter 3 of Genesis and we see that they both took the fruit and yet on the day that they ate of it, they didn't die. At least not physically. So is there a contradiction in the Bible in the first three chapters that in chapter 2 God promises you eat this fruit, you will certainly die? Chapter 3, they eat the fruit and they don't die? Or did they? And we would say that, yes, actually, they did die. And our problem is that we are so caught up in this experience of physical life. We're all sitting here today, we all have a pulse, and we all have breath rising and falling in our lungs, and we have brain waves. We are physically alive. But we are not alive in the sense that God made us to be alive. And there was a death that happened for Adam and Eve when they sinned against God. And in that moment when they felt shame and they hid themselves from God, and then of course ultimately when God banished them from the garden and blocked the way with that fiery sword, there was a kind of death, an absolutely real death. And what we fail to realize is that what is true humanity? Is it merely having a pulse and having brain waves? Is, is that what true humanity, is that what it means to be human? And the answer is no. To be truly human is to have both physical life and the life of God. Did you know that? I mean, this is what Adam and Eve had before they sinned. They had physical life like we have, like we experience, but they also had the life of their Creator somehow within them. And I, I don't know what that was like for them. I don't know what that experience was like. But God made human beings in some ways, kind of like the New Testament tells us. We are like jars of clay. Jars of clay that were meant to be filled, not by our own dreams and powers and gifts and passions, but, but by the Creator Himself. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 describes to us, that once we are in Christ, we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's the same treasure that Adam and Eve had when they were first made in the image of God. They had physical life, this clay pot, this body, but it was filled with the life of God. And that was real life. And when they sinned against God, they died because that life within them was lost, gone. But when Adam first had the breath of life breathed into him, he had both 
this physical life, and he had the life of his creator, filling him and fueling him and empowering him. That's what true humanity is. So I believe that when Jesus appeared to his disciples, having himself been resurrected from the dead with the power and the life of God, he came to his disciples who had trusted in him, had believed in him, had found salvation in him, and now based on the fact that he had died for sin and risen to conquer sin and death, now he could breathe on those disciples again to give them back real life, which was the presence of God. Now, we know literally, as I've mentioned already, the presence of God was going to come and indwell them in the person of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the primary way that we experience the presence of God in us. But I believe that Jesus came to his disciples and he breathed life back into them. Now they could be fully human again because there was no hindrance between God and them. Now their creator and their savior could live within them and cause them to be truly human. Do you know that this is what God's plan is for you and for me? That this is why Jesus came and died, gave his life, was resurrected so that we could have life restored? This is what redemption is all about. The question for us on this Resurrection Sunday is life or death? Are we someone who has had real life breathed back into us because we have trusted in Christ for salvation? We have come to him by faith joined ourselves to Him, and now He lives within us, we live within Him, and we have real human life again. Not just physical life, but the life of our Creator and our Savior within us. That is the question that we need to consider for a few moments. Life or death? Scripture says this, all have sinned, Romans 3, 23. It says, Ephesians 4, 18, that sinners are separated from the life of God. That's exactly what I'm describing happened to Adam and Eve. It's happened to all of us because all of us have sin. And those who die physically without God, it says in 2 Thessalonians, will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Oh, did we have to talk about that on Easter Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Because this is the Meaning, this is the importance of the resurrection of Christ. He rose to save us and to rescue us from our impending doom. Because we've all sinned against God. We've all been separated from this life of God. And if we die without the life of God, without our names written in the Lamb's book of life, we will stay separated from the life of God for all eternity. And so this is such a crucial question for us. I want us to personalize the question. Life or death? Such a wonderful message of Scripture, message of Jesus. I love to trace through the Gospel of John in particular and see how often Jesus spoke of life and spoke of how faith in Him would bring back this life that all of us have lost. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have now have 
eternal life. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life, the life of God. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense now, this is not future, this is something that we have now as the people of God, if we believe in him, uh, in him who sent me, it says we have eternal life and will not be judged, but we've crossed over from death to life. Do you see how crucial this question is? Where do I stand with God? I'm either still standing in my sin before God, still separated from God, still without this true life of God within me, facing the impending judgment of God, His wrath still hanging over me, or if I'm believing in Christ, I have life. Jesus said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is a metaphor of believing in Christ, by the way. He, He literally spoke of eating His flesh and drinking His blood. What He meant by that is just as by faith we receive Him, we Everything we put into our mouths, by the way, we do that by faith. It might kill us or it might give us life. But we take it into ourselves, and this is what faith in Christ is. It's a receiving of Him, trusting that He alone is the life giver. Whoever follows me, this is that phrase we've been using in our series, whoever follows me, whoever is my disciple, whoever believes in me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love this one, by the way. Jesus, uh, it's described in John 1, uh, a really interesting phrase that I, I've never really been fully able to figure out, but it says in John 1 that, uh, uh, that Jesus is life. In him was life, it says, and the life was the light of men. What does that mean in terms of this life of God? And so here's the way I've come to understand it, and this is helpful for me in my simple mind. But it's a little bit like we are solar-powered. Solar power, right? Powered by the light of the sun. We are powered as human beings, meant to be powered by the light of the S-O-N. We are solar-powered. The life of Jesus is meant to shine upon us and shine within us so that we have this real life, the life of God. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then last week we saw this theme. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Do you know why Jesus said this? Because our world is full of people who are absolutely content with the body that they have, with the life that they have, with the money that they have, with the experience that they have, with the holidays that they have, with the house that they have, with the cars that they have. They are absolutely content with that. In fact, they are living for those things and happy to have those things. There's no sense that anything is desperately wrong. And Jesus is saying is, if, if you're going to cling to this life, if you're going to worship, if you're going to put all your eggs into this basket of this life in this world, you're going to lose your life. And that is why things like coronavirus and 
health struggles and, and, and all of these difficulties that we face in this life are actually such a blessing from God because they shake us out of this false sense of security and worth and remind us that this world is desperately broken, that, that, that this isn't real life, that God created us for so much more and what we really need is not a newer car or a bigger house. What we really need is the life of God. That's why Jesus could say this. I mean, this is just a, a perfect picture of whether we are repenting of our life and our sin and our selfishness and our false worship and turning to God for a life that we don't have now, or whether we're saying, no, I'm going to live for this life. This is all I want. This is all I need is what I have in this world. And to do that is to reject the Savior and the life that He offers. Why did Jesus breathe on His disciples? I believe because they belonged to Him, because they were saved. He was, uh, in, in a sense, giving them back the life that was lost because of their sin and welcoming them back into the presence of God and into the life of God. Same reason that when he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn that had separated people from their creator. Now the way is open and now Jesus can breathe on his disciples and say, now, because I'm alive, now you are alive. This is the teaching of Scripture, that the death of Christ is applied to us. If you are a believer, Scripture says that you've died with Christ. If you're a believer, Scripture says that you are raised with Christ. His resurrection has become our resurrection, and so the risen Jesus could come and breathe on His followers and give them back the life of God. Which brings us to our second question. Why did Jesus twice say, peace be with you? First one comes in verse 19 on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, why did he say it the first time? So first, we just have to understand that, that this was a common Jewish greeting. Uh, in Hebrew, Jesus would have used the word shalom, which many of us have heard before. I, I understand that if you go to Israel, I don't know how many of you have been to Israel, but if you go to Israel, I understand that you will hear this greeting. Say it when you come, say it when you go, shalom. Just a polite way of greeting one another. And when a dead man walks through a wall and shows up in a group of people who are already scared, it's considerate to say, shalom, peace, it's okay. What an experience that must have been. Put yourselves there in that room, imagine, be a fly on the wall, imagine what that was like for Jesus suddenly to appear. Now, uh, some of the women had already seen Jesus. I mentioned this two weeks ago. Jesus had already appeared to Mary, he'd already appeared to the women doubtful that the men really believed them, they were not likely surprised. We also saw on Friday that there were two other disciples, not any of the twelve, who had already seen Jesus. Remember, they were walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus comes alongside them and tells them the story, appears to them as they broke bread together, then he disappears. This is the same night now. 
And those two disciples are probably here in this room. And the women are probably here in this room with the disciples. And Jesus shows up. Now, when you put all the different gospel stories together, this is so fun. Because Jesus walks through the wall and shows up, gives them the greeting. He says, have you got anything to eat? I love that. I mean, it's been a, it's been a tough few days. for He hasn't eaten for three days. And what this tells us, by the way, is that the glorified body of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15 says that the body, the resurrected body of Jesus is the same kind of body that we are going to have when we are resurrected. And what kind of body was that? It was a body that could walk through walls. It was a body that could still eat. Praise God. I am so glad to hear that. Someday in eternity, we are going to have bodies like that, whatever that means, Glorified bodies. We're not confined to physical spaces. Maybe we can fly. Maybe we can transport ourselves. But we still are physical bodies. And we still get to eat and celebrate. So I think probably Jesus, the first time he said, uh, peace be with you, shalom. By the way, this is written in Greek, so it's not the word shalom used here. But it's probably the word Jesus probably used is probably shalom. So I think the surprise, the fear, and just the considerate way of saying peace in a moment when people would have been really shocked and concerned. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I mentioned this on Friday, but I find it astounding that when we read about Jesus in the book of Revelation, when we see those visions of Jesus in eternity, in His glory, the first case is in Revelation chapter 5, where there's this great God sitting on a throne, and there's this scroll that somebody's got to open, and no one's worthy to open it, and John begins to weep, and then someone says, don't weep. And introduced into the scene is a lamb, as though it had been slain. And that word lamb is used for Jesus right to the end of the Bible. Revelation 21, 22, there's no light in that place, in that eternal city, because God and the lamb are its light. Why not call him lion? Why not call him king? And yet, the description of Jesus in eternity is the description of a lamb. Is it possible that when we stand before Jesus someday, He will show us His hands and His feet so that we know it's Him and so that we know that we are actually worthy to be there in His presence Not because of anything we've done, but because of what He did. Because of the sacrifice He made. Jesus showed them His hands and His side. And I'm sure He did that in part to identify Himself, to prove to them, this is no ghost, this is not, you're not dreaming this. Look at the prints of the nails in my hands. Look at the spear print in my side, it's me. But is it possible that He really could only pronounce shalom? Because 
of what he'd done on the cross. And I wonder if that's why he says it again. After he said it the first time and, and the shock dies down and the celebration is beginning to die down. Jesus is alive. It's really him. He's standing here before us. This is unbelievable. This is amazing. We had lost hope. And he says it again. Shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace. Harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. Yeah, a word that's used as a common greeting. It reminds me of how we sometimes say things twice, and we do this at church. When we greet one another and we say, how are you? And we give our standard answer, oh, fine. And once we get that standard common answer out of the way, we go back again and we say, no. How are you? And it signals the fact that now it's time to tell the truth. And let's be honest with each other. And I wonder if that's why Jesus says it again. Shalom. He's pronouncing upon these disciples as He breathes on them, as He comes to them as, his, as their resurrected Lord and Savior, now able to impart back to them the genuine life of God. Now He can pronounce Shalom. As they hide in that room with the door locked, Jesus knowing, he's already told Peter, you're going to a cross too. Actually, that's the next chapter. He hasn't told him yet. Next chapter, he's going to tell him. These disciples, many of whom, if not all, were going to face persecution for the good news of Jesus. But Jesus could say, Shalom. And here's the joy for us if we are in Christ. Is it doesn't matter how crazy this world is or how difficult this life is or what our financial situation is or the health struggles that we're facing in our family or, or ourselves. Jesus can pronounce over us, Shalom. Because it's true. There is a wholeness, there is a true prosperity, there is a perfect welfare and tranquility that comes from knowing Jesus. And we celebrate that today in spite of pandemics and all the struggles that we're dealing with. We can hear Jesus say to us, Shalom. One last question. Can disciples of Jesus forgive sin? If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that we go to our pastor or a church elder when we've sinned against God to hear them say to us, I forgive you. We would say that only God can forgive. So what is Jesus saying here, having breathed upon these guys? What is he saying in verse 23? Actually, look back at verse 21. Right after he says, Shalom, he says to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You know what we do with Shalom? We think of Shalom and we think, give me a hammock. 
Let me go to the Caribbean. Give me all the things that I'm looking for in life that will make me feel satisfied and secure. There are many people today who actually preach a a false Christianity like this. And they say that to have Jesus is to have prosperity. And they're talking about physical, material, financial prosperity. And most of us here at Wallenstein Bible Chapel would say, oh, we don't believe that. No, we, we, don't, we don't listen to Joel Osteen and guys like that that preach a false gospel. But the reality is that we can look for our shalom right here, right now, in the things of the world. We can take our security in Christ and feel like we, we've got it made. I mean, let's just coast through this life and enjoy what we can. And we've got heaven coming too. But that's not what Jesus said. He pronounced shalom. And then what did He do? He sent them out. Just as the Father has sent me. How did that go for you, Jesus? What was that like for you? To be sent from heaven to earth. To be the preacher of good news. To be the one who actually provided good news by laying down your life. How was that, Jesus? Well, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew the good that was coming, but it wasn't easy and it wasn't fun. It wasn't a holiday. And if we understand that we have shalom in Christ, it is not a shalom that means we can take it easy for life, look for security here and enjoyment. No, if we understand shalom, we hear Jesus saying to us, follow me, come follow me. Be in this world what I have been in this world. You are my body. You're my hands and my feet. It's time to get busy of sending you. I can send you because I've provided wholeness for you. You have absolute security. Even if they take your life, you are complete in Christ, fully secure. So I'm sending you. It's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 28. First off, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. So go and make disciples. And I am with you always. We have shalom in Christ because He sits on the throne and because He sits in our heart. And in our shalom, He says, go. I'm sending you. And that's why verse 23 is there doesn't mean that somehow we take the place of God and forgive sins. What it means is that we are the representatives of Jesus in this world. The God who's come and given us back true humanity and put life back within our hearts. It's Jesus himself living within us. And what is he saying to us? Follow me. Go with me. There's work to be done. There's a world of people, millions, billions of people who don't know the good news sending you. To be raised with Christ means that one day we will reign with Him in and for eternity. Praise God. We have a tremendous hope. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not today. That day is coming. There's a sense in which it's already here, but it's not here yet. For now, to be raised with Christ means that we are a resurrected army of His people to serve Him and represent Him in this world. We have become 
the dry bones that Ezekiel saw and prophesied about. Those bones that have been brought back to life by the supernatural work of God, given back life so that we can now be the ones to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's what Easter is about. It's not just about our comfort. It's about our calling. He's sending us out to tell others that Jesus is alive and that he wants to make them alive. Let's celebrate that as we sing our final two songs and then I'll come again and pray. Thank you, music team, for helping us celebrate today. Uh, I just want to make an invitation that maybe there's someone here today uh, that doesn't know for sure that they've crossed over from death to life. And if that's true for you, I hope that you know that it's available and I hope that you'll, you'll do it today by faith. If you want to talk to someone, I'm going to hang around here for a while, but it doesn't have to be me. Talk to someone that you know, uh, that you know loves Jesus. And let's just pray. Let's just uh, commit our, our lives to, to the Lord. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for this morning, even in the midst of a world that's not right. Uh, but Lord, in, in our hearts, we can be right. We can have shalom because of what you've done. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who isn't sure, uh, isn't sure that they've come to find that real life in Christ, that they would understand that it's so available to them today. If we would repent of sin, if we would turn to Christ in faith, we can absolutely be assured that he would breathe upon us and, and give us this true and eternal life. So Lord, just work in, in our hearts and uh, and just bring us to that place of, of faith and trust. And Lord, for those of us who are your people, uh, help us to see this calling that you've placed upon us, uh, that shalom and life does not mean ease here and now. That time is coming when we spend eternity with you, but for now, you have sent us. And w Lord, would you help us go out this very week on mission, looking for opportunities to share the good news, ready to speak about Jesus. Uh, would you empower us to do this, Lord? Help us to realize it's not us. It's not our strength and our power. We, we know full well in our humanness we are so frail, but Lord, help us to realize the power of the resurrected Christ lives within us and can open our mouth and give us the words to say. So may we be faithful to represent you well in this week, in the days ahead, and all, Lord, for your, your great honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. God be with you.